For a millennium, the space for the hotel room existed, undefined. Mankind captured it, gave it shape, and passed through. Sometimes, in passing through, they found themselves brushing up against the secret names of truth. Welcome to Bickering Peaks. With Aiden and Lindsay. Aiden. And you're Lindsay. And this is Bickering Peaks. Yes, it is. And we're here to talk about Hotel Room. Yes. Hotel Room, which is the, um, it's a lesser known Lynch work. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it's, it's garnered fewer fans than most of his other stuff. I think maybe by virtue of the fact that it's never had a proper DVD release. Yep. Uh, it, I think it was available on VHS at some point. Um, and then on a Japanese Laserdisc yes. that has been converted to DVD in bootleg circles. Yes. Which is with the, how with the we Japanese uh, subtitles burned in. Yeah, you can't get rid of them. You can't get rid of them. Um, so it's a little sketchy, but it's also kind of enjoyable. To yeah. Watch. Well, you can just it, tune them out after. Well, a while, and it but. feels like Lynch is just. Yeah. He, you know, he's beloved in Japan, and so it feels like it, it works somehow. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's like um, a Georgia coffee commercial. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> for long, for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, it is a it was a short lived, very short lived yes. uh, series uh, produced and put on by HBO. Home box office. Home box office as at it the was time. Known. It didn't even have the iconic. No, well, of course not. That, that's anything. a new thing. This is this yeah. is early this is cable. An, it is premium cable. Yes, exactly. It was 1993 when yeah. it was uh, released, and there are three episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two are about half an hour long, and the third one. Felt longer. Felt longer. I think it must have been closer to forty-five minutes. Yeah. I don't think it was quite half. Yeah. But still, um, the and and the first one and the third one. Yes. Were written and directed by David Lynch. Yeah. And Barry Gifford. And Barry Gifford, which we'll who, talk about. Yes, was the author of Wild at Heart and a collaborator on Lost Highway. Yeah. The third one, or the middle one, the second one was written by. Jay McInerney and James Signorelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Signorelli was the director. He did. He was a, a Saturday Night Live producer. Yeah, exactly. So uh, very different. Very feel. different kind of feel to but it. But we'll get to a little bit of that when we talk about the production. Um, yeah, and so it's it's what three episodes yeah. of three different stories set in three different. Time periods, yeah. Uh, All set in the same room, though. Yes, room 603 of the Railroad Hotel in New York City. Yes. Um, And before the very first episode, they all aired back to back to back, by the way. It wasn't like it was one one week or anything. It was all aired on one day. And the reason for that was because HBO had originally planned for this to be a longer series, and they Mm. chose not to continue it because it just didn't strike the right tone, I think, for what they were hoping it it would be do for them yeah so they, uh, yeah, aired, think, it, they aired it as a as a um a, a movie a i guess movie movie, movie. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, although some people believe that these should be viewed as three separate short films which i yeah i can quite see. like yeah even though thematically and they fit and yes yeah. the setting is the same yeah um they do feel like very nice little self-contained capsules but yeah. again we'll get to that mm-hmm 
and we get introduced to this uh, at the start of the uh, series by uh, David Lynch uh, introduction. Yes. Uh, voiced by him, which we put at the start of the episode, of course. Um, and it kind of sets the, the tone, at least for the first episode. And, and they are quite different uh, tonally uh, between the three episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one feels like a typical David Lynch. Well, and, and I'll just throw this out there, Lindsay. Uh, you can correct me if you feel differently. But to me, they felt like plays. Uh, the, oh, yeah. the way they're structured and the way they're set up and obviously a, a very limited cast, very limited uh, setting. It's one room. <laughs> it feels like a play. Oh, um, absolutely. And so basically what you get is a David Lynch play. If you mm-hmm. ever wondered what that would be like, uh, this is the example. Um, and yeah, so Lynch, the first episode feels like a David Lynch movie turned into a play mm-hmm. and then captured on film. Uh, the second one feels like an SNL skit that was... Uh, expanded and made a little more serious. I, I almost wonder if it if it it feels more like what Sex and the City later became. Yeah, like that's that's how kind of, yeah. it, like a proto Sex and the City or yeah, but a little know. a little funnier and and yeah. Well, I don't know. You never watched Sex and the City. There I watched some it a funny little bit. Moments. No, no, for it sure, was it was quite humorous. It this was fun. dark, but yeah, also yeah. had some weird twisting humor. Yeah. yeah. And then the third episode uh, felt like nothing else. It it, uh, it was, again, for me, my least favorite of the three. I'll just put that oh, out there. Oh, man, I thought that was the best one. Oh, no way. You're I lying. thought, I, I honestly, I thought that, that the, and we'll get to this too, but it felt very much like certain things, certain scenes that later came out in Inland Empire. You're joking, me, I'm not right? joking at you all. You liked that I one? I loved it. I loved it oh so much. Oh my god, much. it was so bad. No, it was not it was bad. So and boring. You're wrong, and that's that's the end okay, of everything. Okay, well, that's, this relationship's over. Goodbye, everybody. This is <laughs> this was bickering peaks. Uh, okay, well let's 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 talk about the episodes. Then. Okay, so the first episode is set in 1969. It's called Tricks, mm-hmm. and it stars Harry Dean Stanton as a John. Yep. Named, named Mo. Mo. Maybe. And then we get uh, Glenn Headley, uh, who I always remember as as Tess Trueheart from the Dick Tracy film. Uh, she plays Darlene, who is the the woman that he's contracted for the afternoon. Yep. And then he the 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 this afternoon is intruded upon by a gentleman named Lou, yes, who, who's a friend or. An, an associate of some sort of, yes, of Mo's. That, that Mo is expecting, sort of, but not quite yet. He's, that's, you know, he's very adamant about the fact that Mo or Lou shouldn't be here yet. Yeah. And uh, he's played by Freddie Jones, who's a longtime uh, Lynch collaborator as well. So it it's these these three people, plus the bellboy. We yeah. get the bellboy and the the maid are mm-hmm. two characters that show up in each of these. Yes, it's, it's some odd, you know, temporal transportation yes. thing because these these are the only recurring characters and they don't the, age they don't yeah. change we don't really get their names i don't think but the, and then the they, third well, they do one, change a little bit maybe we'll a little the yeah, one, the, yeah yeah but either way they stay the same throughout yeah uh, most the same actors at least play, play them yeah so uh but yeah this this uh to use the play vernacular mm-hmm. uh a three-hander it's yeah. a three-hander yeah and and they kind of play off one another um there's some backstory about uh, a woman named Felicia. Yes, who, who was, was we find out? Yes, wife? Lou's wife, Maybe. or is it Mo's wife? Or is it Mo's wife? We'll come back to that a, wife a wife who has died, yeah. and this prostitute Darlene um, reminds them of her, mm-hmm. 
and they get her to do a little cheerleading routine and you know it's it doesn't feel like it's set in the 60s aside from Darlene's occasional you know dropping of you know a, a 60s vernacular yeah. man or whatever yeah. she smokes a joint at one point yeah. um and well you know Harry Dean Stanton's character I'm gonna get them confused Lou and Mo yeah uh, Mo seems to be very uptight and orders like a whole bottle of bourbon and very adamant that it has to be bourbon so like old school kind of guy yeah you know with two chimneys that he he orders them from room service um which he he drinks and he just like pounds one back like really quick um so anyway when uh when lou comes in he eventually usurps mo's position as client as the client and 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 ends up up sleeping with uh darlene darlene yes and then at the end, they both kind of converge on her in a way that uh, she's upset them in some way, but you don't really understand why. Like the thing happens very quickly. Where yeah, she, it's, where, it's a sudden shift because basically she says, "Oh, Felicia was Lou's wife," and Mo comes out and says, "Mo or Lou? How could Lou marry a, a woman like that? Right. She was my wife." Yeah. Um, and then they start asking her about uh, her husband or her boyfriend that she's leaving behind right, because she tried to kill him yeah but didn't succeed yeah and his name is arthur or someone else's name is arthur there's another male <laughs> character named arthur and they're interrogating her like they're threatening her like it was his name arthur what did you do with arthur kind of thing it's it feels very surreal and it's very lynchian it's so quite interesting eventually she gets to the door and and the maid knocks on the door asking if they want it turned down turns service, on yeah. service or something and she gets out and leaves and then lou and mo have a little heart to heart in which, during which, Lou slips his wallet into Mo's coat. Yeah. Mo goes to sleep, and when he wakes up, the police are banging on his door, and they come in and, and threaten yeah. to arrest him, or do arrest him yeah. for the murder of Felicia. Yeah. And he doesn't remember doing it and protests angrily that he didn't do it. And yeah. the screen cuts to black. Yeah. Uh, so it feels, yeah, like a very kind of Lynchian film noir that deals with a lot of the similar themes. You know, there are characters talking around other characters that we never see, that we don't hear about again, mm-hmm. um, but they loom large. Like this character, Felicia, really is yeah. kind of present. Very, yeah, exactly. You know, without being present. And that's something that uh, comes up again in so many of Lynch's, you know, I'm thinking of, of Inland Empire, the conversation on the street yeah. with, you know, about this woman who lives out in yeah in, in inland, inland empire, empire yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then uh or um the roadhouse scenes in the return yeah. where you have all these characters who are Maybe exerting exist. so much but they're <laughs> even if they don't exist they exert a lot of uh pressure on the scene itself yeah. Yeah. just by virtue of uh whatever it is that they're doing yeah or aren't doing yeah so that's part that's the first part yeah set in 1969 so the second story uh, is a, as we mentioned, a slightly lighter <laughs> story. Uh, it involves around a woman named... Sasha. Sasha, uh, who is coming into New York. Uh, she stayed at this hotel a couple times and she yeah. kind of reprimands the bellboy about, well, why do you always introduce it like I've never been here before? But uh, she comes into the room, gets undressed, kind of walks around a bit. Do we get then, any idea of what she does for a living? Uh, no, I don't she, know if she I thought she was a call girl. Oh. Like, that's how I interpreted it, that she was a, a very high-priced call girl, mm. and then her two friends were also somehow, that's how they knew each other. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they give but, the, yeah, the other option, I guess, would be just, you know, they're kind of society women. They're, they're, yes. they're kept women in any case. They, they very much rely on men to uh, do the things. Well, except for the one who's, uh, so basically what happens <laughs> is she gets a call on the phone, uh, and she invites her two friends up. Yeah. One of the women is played by 
Uh, Mariska Hargitay. Yes, thank from you. From Law no, and Order SVU. Yes, never going to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> um, and another one who I didn't recognize. Uh, Chelsea Field. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like these are these are not actually like the other two actresses, Deborah Unger and and Chelsea Field, didn't go on to do you know great things. Although they did seem familiar. I think yeah, they're they TV familiar. shows maybe yes. that we've seen. I think they were nineties. Maybe TV maybe or they just so. had that face. Yeah, it's works. true, and the makeup and everything. But else. these two other friends of theirs, Tina. Uh, so there's Sash is the main character, and then Tina and Diane are the other two who yeah. come up. And um, and they talk about uh, Sasha wanting to leave her boyfriend. Robert. Robert. Yes. And that's the the title of it is Getting Rid of Robert. Getting Rid of Robert. the title of this, yeah. of this part. Yeah. Uh, and so they chat, and she basically, they go into a bit of a, a storytelling exercise. Like, mm-hmm. well, how would you do it? And she says, well, How would you break up with him? How would you break up with him? And she goes through it and she makes some predictions of what would happen. And uh, spoiler alert, they come true later on. Yeah. Uh, and basically, but it's it's a long protracted uh, exploration of, of what she wants and what she's aiming for and mm-hmm. what her friends, their kind of counterpoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one redheaded lady whose name I will not remember. Diane. Diane, thank you. Oh yeah, Diane, that's good. Uh, she <laughs> she she enjoys working, and she doesn't want to she doesn't want to marry or get settled down or anything. And the other two are very much like, well, you got your looks are going to fade eventually, yeah. so you got to lock catch it a man. down exactly. Yeah. Um, and so the, yeah, they they just have this kind of heart to heart kind of conversation again. Which it feels very playish. Feels it also feels like something that is um, very nineties. It's very of the moment mm-hmm. in in that time frame where. Um, Women were, you know, second wave feminism was reaching its peak and you had, or I guess had already crested, we were seeing the effects of that and coming into third wave feminism. So, I mean, you've got women who still, you know, they, they had powerful jobs. They had mm-hmm. money. The Diane had enough money to buy this brass fire poker yeah. at an auction. From the Revolutionary War. Right, from the yeah. 1760s or something. Yeah. Um, but, like, we don't know what they do, but they're obviously successful. And yet they still have this sense of... You know, needing men to make them better. Yeah, or complete or, their, or to yeah. supply them with something. Because and, and their looks will fade. Exactly. And, and, you know, life won't have meaning if you're not married and, and your looks have faded. Yeah, and you haven't yeah. had the kids and everything. So, yeah, yeah. And so Sasha goes through this whole thing. And, and at some point you realize that uh, part of the reason she wants to leave Robert is because she's kind of found another man. Yes. Um, and then her two friends inform her that, no, this other man actually just got married in Reno to some other woman, again, mm-hmm. who we don't see. Uh, so again, there's these these characters that are kind of looming large in the in the background. Yeah. And then you know, all of a sudden, shortly thereafter, Robert shows up. Mm-hmm. Robert kind of flirts with uh, it not seems, Diane, and it not seems Sasha, like but the other one, Tina. It Tina. seems like he's had some. Well, they they don't seem to know him, but they also seem to know him very well. And yeah, I'm not well, sure they, if they had relationships with well, him. Well, no, and or... Diane had. Diane had okay. dated him okay. earlier, and uh, so Sasha was very upset. Like, you, I introduced you. You acted right. like you never knew him. And she's like, well, it was just a couple times, and yeah. I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, so she's very upset. And then Tina, her other friend, like, pretty brazenly flirts with Robert yeah. as soon as he comes in. Yeah. He's, like, kissing her and grabbing her butt. Oh, and yeah. Stuff. It's, it's like, very, it's... like, he, and she describes him to a T that he has this very 90s hair and very yeah. 90s way about him, like a... a... Well, he's a, he's a Hollywood exec. Yes, yeah, exactly. So we do know what he does. Um, But, yeah, like, even to the point of him, like, flipping his hair back out of his eyes, even though it's not long enough to have been in his eyes to begin with. It's a very, um, he's very conscious of his looks and very mm-hmm. conscious of the image that he portrays and yeah. or projects so um you can kind of see how sasha would want to you know latch onto this and of course if he offered to marry her then she would say yes right, right away and yes. that was that was her initial reason why she didn't want to be with him was because yeah. he hadn't proposed marriage yet um but this whole breakup thing is turned on its head 
almost instantaneously once Tina and Diane leave because uh, Robert breaks up with Sasha instead and says... In the exact same manner that Sasha would describe it for her her friends, yeah. Uh, Because she's not very nice. Yeah. And then they hurl some insults at one another. Well, I mean... Robert hurls insults at Sasha and doesn't quite get to calling her the C word like he wants to um, before she completely loses it and whacks him over the head with the poker that the brass poker that, that Diane, Diane has forgot, left behind. Yeah. Um, so sometime later or, or, you know, a few minutes after this has yeah. happened, the maid arrives to open the door and, you know, change Clean the, the place, room or yeah. whatever. And finds Sasha with blood all over her. Dragging and, Robert's yes. body like to the bathroom, I guess, I to guess. drown him maybe? I don't Who know. Who knows? Um, and he's clearly profusely bleeding from the head. Yeah. Um, Sasha eventually convinces uh, this maid to go down and call for help. Yeah. She's very condescending towards this maid the, the entire, entire time. episode, yeah. But uh, once the maid leaves, Robert is still alive. And he kind of wakes up and they share like a kiss, which is very yeah. strange. And then they, they apologize and yeah. make up and, and everything is going to be fine. And, and what like, time is, is your screening today or the premiere or whatever We're not going to make it. Like that's yeah. what she's worried about. And she sends the, the, uh, the maid, maid away to say, no, we're having a private moment here. Can you not call for help right now? Yeah. We're okay. Yeah. And sends her out. And it's, it's, it, it was funny. Like it's, it was it's a really, legitimately funny. It is a funny episode. Um, but like darkly comic because you don't really know, like, is this actually happening? And maybe that's just because we've been conditioned by, yeah. um, by Twin Peaks and well, by and, David. And Lynch the opening not, of the series. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like our, how much of this is actually really happening, but yeah. we'll get into that. I think. Yeah. The third part, my favorite part, Aiden's least favorite part, favorite. uh, it's set in 1936 and the two actors, it's, just the two of them, mm-hmm. basically the entire time. Yeah. It's Crispin Glover and Alicia Witt. Yeah. Um, they play a couple from Oklahoma yeah. who have come into the city to go visit a doctor. Yeah. That it apparently, it, it seems like this is a doctor who's going to help Alicia Witt's character, also named Diane, yeah. with some kind of psychological problem that she's having. Yeah. Probably resulting from the death of their child, yeah. which you don't really realize until about halfway through that they that they did have a child together who drowned. Yeah. Um, and the entire episode and why I hated it was it, lit- it was literally just the two of them. Yeah. Uh, and Alicia Witt, uh, Witt's character Diane, basically talks in this this very Lynchian uh, kind of knowing, looking away in the distance, kind of absent but mystically aware of more than you think kind of voice okay um and uh i want to say donald glover every time now it's not, uh, not childish champion no. was not in this in this film crispin glover uh kind of he's daniel or danny daniel Dan- danny yeah. yeah and uh so danny's very like he's a he's a nice oklahoma boy yeah he and, seems like a down-home guy yeah. who just you know trying to help out his wife and uh yeah so he's just he's very cheerful and he's He's talking to her and he's like, oh, you're okay. And all, you know, and basically they just talk and you slowly, torturingly in very <laughs> small snippets, you get the, the the history of them that, yes, they, they had a child together. The child drowned while they were having sex <laughs> on the beach. Uh, and then ever since then, obviously, she's gone insane, basically. And she's she's in this kind of altered state. Uh, that that we find her in, and there I told you the whole story in okay. thirty seconds. It but didn't what, take forty five minutes. <laughs> Aiden misses the point of what all of this exercise is because mm-hmm. it's it's 
it's psychological exploration. It's it's meant to be an exploration of this. It's not meant to be ABC. Here's a story. And if that's what you expect from David Lynch, then mm, wow. I expect more. I expect an A and then an R and then a T. And, and then that's C what you get in a very roundabout way. And I think there's more to it than that, mm. even still. Um, what we didn't say yet is that the, the entire set, the entire scene is set in uh, this hotel room while during a power outage. Mm-hmm. So the entire city has gone dark. And Danny has come up with the bellboy carrying Chinese food, um, which they never get around to eating, but which, again, just bothers, bothers me. Still, so as somebody much, who, uh, who still is, is so annoyed Maddie's. about Maddie's Cherry Coke, um, that, that really does stick in my crop. But... Mm. Um, it's a neat little two-hander, let's put it <laughs> sure. put it bluntly, that's lit by candlelight and and it's so fascinating to see that that this this already limited set and limited mm-hmm. space is limited even further by the fact that there's no light anywhere else but on their faces. So it really does give um, oh, yeah, it's... the 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 physical space of this scene is not um grand or wide or open but the interior space is and i think that's what is being explored here it's not about what's happening it's about what they're thinking and what they're feeling and how these two people relate to one another and there's still weird timey-wimey stuff going on because these are two characters who have known each other for i think they say 17 years Mm -hmm. since she was three and he He was was five five. so that means that she's 20 and he's he's 22 22, but he's already been through a war and and he's been in the navy and has been gone and has come back and they've managed to have a child in that time as well and i mean two and then died yeah like i get it it's the 30s but that that's still (laughs) very active (laughs) and she would have been like 14 maybe like it just seems like it doesn't fit but i think that's the point is that this is I'm not entirely sure that this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of it. Yeah. Um, now, in talking about these three separate films, let's call them films, right? Yep. Within a film. Um, the the middle one does stand out quite dramatically yeah. as as very different. Like it as you said, it it's funny, it has these light moments. It's it's very it's dated in a way that Yeah. Like, I would love to see David Lynch do the 1990s. Well, and, and, The way that, that yeah. like, Twin Peaks feels, doesn't well, feel dated the way that well, this Because it was set dated. in the 50s and the 90s. Like, sure, so, and, and that's, so that's so what we, I mean. We didn't forgot to mention the second one is set in 1992, yes. yeah. the year of yeah. recording, probably. So it, it feels very, like, it's trying yeah. to capture 1992, yeah. and it does a very good job. The 30s one feels like 19 absolutely i mean his their diction uh the way they talk they're both you know they have the oklahoma accent down pretty mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. uh and the 60s one is the only one that again feels yeah. like it could be any time but again that's part of lynch's yes appeal i think is that he can set something it could have been set in 92 yeah. and you'd be like yeah whatever it doesn't matter. just some 60s guys in the 90s yeah right? exactly and it yeah. would make sense so um but that middle one really does stand out mm-hmm. and i think as i was doing research on this for this episode um they when they commissioned the well they didn't officially commission it but the plan was for this to be for the first one to be written and directed by david lynch and then other directors and writers to take on subsequent episodes all taking place in this hotel room 603 and the third installment whatever it wouldn't have been the same story but the third part of this series was supposed to have been written and directed or written anyway by David Mamet, which would have been 
like completely Very different. different. <laughs> um, or maybe not. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> there wouldn't be as much what? talking. That's for sure. Or at yeah. least no finishing of sentences. That's the important part. But, um, but knowing that the middle one doesn't feel as strangely out of place because I think if it had continued, it wouldn't have felt like the lone man out of a you know two out of three are david lynch Mm -hmm. and feel very david lynch and then there's this one that feels like a snl meet sex in the city yeah so if david mammon had directed it and then if you had had i don't know you know whoever do four five six and and on and on it it would have felt more like an anthology yeah as it is i think there were a lot of things that kind of hamper the series as a whole to make it feel um less good Mm mm-hmm just by virtue of the fact that there were only three and the the actual structure of it didn't come to fruition. Yeah, and I think that does uh, hamper the overall feel of it um, mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned, the first one really feels like a David Lynch piece all mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second one feels like, yeah, SNL meets Sex in the City. You know, it's the very 90s feel and it works really well that way. The third one is what really throws off, A, because it's it's longer. Yeah. Um, and two, because it uh, it's just this tonal shift of uh, these two. It's a very psychologically, like you said, it's yeah. a psychological exploration. Lynch does that in, in cases and with certain characters, but he doesn't often do it in make the whole story about that there's usually some other elements in his psychological explorations um Mm. that that kind of give it more verve and uh give it more of a story or give it more of a an edge this one felt like a very straightforward i mean there was a little bit of supernatural stuff at the end of course uh she comes to the realization that yes her she remembers her her son dying and then all the lights come on and and the city's glowing and everything's maybe okay because she you know, finally confronted this psychological terror that has been haunting her. Um, But even that, it feels like any kind of director would really have kind of used a similar device. It feels like, Um, like there's nothing overall Lynchian about that one. Um, I know Lindsay's making quite a face, but let me finish making my point. Go for it. Uh, You know, there's no violence. There's no threat of violence. There's no odd uh, psychosexual relations. Like there's a couple times when you're like, Oh, this is when he's going to take the, the weird plunge. Like, she's going to be like, no, I don't remember having a son. I remember having a daughter. And then all of a sudden there would be conflicting narratives at play. And Lynch, you know, he he thrives in that. In the first one, he thrived on, what was it, Lou's, husband, Lou's wife or was it Moe's wife? And maybe they're the same person. And that, that, that was an extra edge that doesn't exist in the third one. Mm-hmm. All this to say that the third one stands out uh, in every respect. Length, tone, uh, feel, tone and feel being the same thing said two things that say that they mean the same thing uh and uh you know and even like yeah like you said lighting uh acting like it's all in their face like Mm -hmm. crispin glover and alicia did a great job because it Mm -hmm. is still very watchable um but it feels very different and yet it feels enough like lynch that you're like well yeah this is just a bookended thing with a weird middle section yeah do you agree right um but i think that's what has like i said it hampered it like it hasn't it doesn't have the the cachet that um any of uh, any of lynch's other pieces have because it's it's just it doesn't seem to work as a three and that and that's partly why i think watching them as three separate yeah um, would it be better short films yeah is but but even still watching them three at a time and i don't know if this would have continued had there been 10 or 18 or 22 episodes um 
you do get the sense that there's some like continuity. Well, obviously there's continuity of setting and location, but which are also two words that mean the same thing. <laughs> um, there's there is a thread of uh, a thematic thread that goes through them that I think I, it's what I picked up on, and I don't know again if this is just me being conditioned by watching lots of David Lynch that I come to expect this, but. And maybe now is the right time to talk about it. Like, sure. you know, the idea that this is set in a hotel room, first of mm-hmm. all, is is really interesting. I mean, we've had lots of hotel rooms in, in Lynch. Yeah. Like, especially, you know, Dale Cooper in, you know, room 315, yeah. the Great Northern oh, Hotel. Yeah, it's iconic, right? Um, and for the hotel to play such an important role in Philip Gerard's, uh, his um, confession, I guess, of, of yeah. his involvement in all of this and... And then making the connection to the hotel. And the hotel was originally supposed to be a locus for something. And it does become a locus for something in the return. So, I mean, hotels hold a lot of of import for David Lynch. And I think, you know, the giant comes to visit Dale Cooper there, too. And um, the fireman. Well, yes. Let's. (laughs) All right. Whatever. (laughs) Um, So. For Lynch, I think, and I think for anybody, hotel rooms are strange places. I mean, you walk into a hotel, into a hotel room, and yes, it's your space while you have paid for it, yeah. but it's not your bed. It's somebody, hundreds of people, thousands of people have slept in this room before you, and sleeping is such an intimate thing. Mm-hmm. So it always creeps me out when I go into a hotel room that um, thinking about, you know, all the other people who have laid in this bed and, and the lives that they carry on and, and then how that the most intimate part of your day happened in the same place where my body now occupies, like it's in the same space. So that is unnerving. It's, it's unsettling in, in a lot of ways. And I mean, it's the, that idea carries through this very well, that these are private conversations and they're, they're private moments that are happening between the characters in each of these three segments but they're happening in these in these very public places in a sense anybody can have access to a hotel room if you pay for it if you have the key mm-hmm. so i mean it's it's a strange feeling and and i i quite like that he set the whole thing it just seems perfect that you would set that these kinds of stories in a hotel yeah. and have them be you know the same room which incidentally room 603 if you add those together it's like it's like room 315 right they they don't quite reach that number of completion they're not quite there yet they'll never quite be there yet and i think that's also important too if you come back to that thematic thread i was talking about but what do you think about hotel rooms and being well yeah it's it's a it's a form of liminal space is is the best way of describing it it's it's hotel rooms it's it's uh diners on highways Mm -hmm. it's uh, you Places know, trains. you pass through. Exactly. Right? It's, it's something that you come, you occupy it. It's, it's liminal. It's, it's an in-between state. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you, it's not home, it's not work, it's not Starbucks, the third place. It's this fourth place of, of, tra- of traveling and, and passing Transit. through. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's, uh, that's always a great place for stories being caught in the moment. When you're in a hotel room, it's just, you're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. You've come to this place for a particular reason. And, and that's a great way to start off a story. Of course. It's a great storytelling device. It's a great uh It's a great place to, to have dramatic... You know, I'm yeah. thinking of um, in the Midnight Trilogy. Um, no, not Midnight is. Trilogy. Is that what it's called? The Before Trilogy? The Before Midnight? Before Sunrise? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What's the third one called? Uh, before Sunset. Before Sunset? Yeah. Because the first one they have to uh-huh. leave before... I know the director. Goes. Uh, Why are we blanking on this? A scanner darkly. God. Boyhood. Yes. 
We're going to remember. We're not going to Google it. We're not going to Google it. We're not Googling it. Either way, we know what we're talking about. (laughs) Oh, my God. We are such... (laughs) This is awful. This is terrible. Either way, um, uh, the the scene in in that film where they have their big fight in the hotel room. Yeah. You know? And and it's like the culmination of, you know, at that point, what, 16 years of of courtship and and relationship coming Mm -hmm. to a head in a hotel room. Yeah. Um, The Shining entirely takes place in a hotel. You know? And that has supernatural elements because it's, you know, and, and there's, you know, Kubrick's fascination with first nations mythologies pulling that in and mm-hmm. i mean there's more going on there but there's this it's a hotel and well um, it's empty i mean that that's what makes the yeah. shining so haunted well, yes, that that's hotels true. are supposed to be places where there are people because of people. people are coming and going and you've built a place to meet the need of lots of people yes. so when it's empty it's it's terrifying. well and, and in that case you're stuck there it's not yeah. it's not a place of transit it's yeah. your final destination yeah. and in in you know um jack's yeah it, it's it's the it's his final, final destination, destination right yes, for sure. so um yeah so it, it's it's definitely a, a good dramatic place it's a good mm-hmm. dramatic setting yeah um and so yeah i can a see what point yeah well yeah and i can see why if you were going to do a series like this this is really kind of one of the only settings that really works that way right yeah like could you could you set it in a coffee shop could you I mean, set yeah, it in you a could. library sure i mean but again it doesn't those have are places the same that, energy but as no a hotel. But, but a hotel i mean people do People do sleeping, they do sex, they do drugs, they do everything in in the hotel and space. Murder and murder, apparently, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's all here, and yeah. and it works really well for for doing that. I think we all we both agreed that uh, the series as a whole has a great feel. Like, oh yeah, it has a lot of potential. I mean, if I think, did you say David Lynch is considered coming back to hotel room at some point? Or no, I hadn't heard that. Okay, because me I, no, must have been your other girlfriend. No, it was probably just me making it up in my brain. Because <laughs> uh, I thought I'd actually read somewhere that somebody else was going to come back and and redo hotel. It'd be room. cool if they did. I mean, well, I mean that was the original yeah. idea, right? It's just you come back to this this place yeah. and all these different takes on this one yeah. uh, location would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it kind of reminded me also of um, the film from the nineties that I watched a few times. Uh, I think it's called If These Walls Could Talk, mm-hmm. which was set in a house. But it was a house and there were three different periods in time. And, yeah. and I just remember one segment. I think it all dealt with, with unwanted pregnancy throughout the ages and how different women mm-hmm. throughout the ages dealt with their unwanted pregnancies. I think it was the 50s, the 70s, and the 90s. Yeah. You know, and, and eventually with abortion being, you know, it it it, it carried a nice, a nice thread through. But talking about in that case, what would these walls have seen if they could talk? And and I think that that kind of has an additional creep factor because, you know, yeah, well, I mean, for me, I don't know, because I anthropomorphize the places that I occupy. Well, yeah, no, but it makes sense. I mean, even here in the in the series, I mean, everything shot one camera. So they've obviously take they take walls out and they put them in. Yeah. But it feels like you're watching from the point of view of the hotel room well yeah like you don't get it from the, any of the characters because the room is small and tight and enclosed so everything feels very close together um well and the fact that the bellboy and the maid are the same throughout yeah. also makes them feel like they're not characters in this they're they're part outside of the hotel it. yeah yes. so so they're literal um human figures who are taking the place of an audience almost yeah within, yeah exactly you know for the moments that we see them they're literally audience but they, they still have a kind of a presence there yeah. even when they're not on screen yeah it's very um, interesting which is leads to another like my point the that thread that comes through it um the fact that these bellboys and maids are the same and in keeping with your notion that this is uh, a place of transit 
it does feel like this is a liminal space between the living and the dead. Like this is mm-hmm. this is almost a waiting room, if you want, um, between life and death. So um, you have these in the first acts. You have characters like Mo, who like Aiden alluded to already. Um, Mo and Lou, I interpreted them as being the same character, but that Lou was some alter ego or. Um, dark side or something yeah. which plays very nicely into the idea of splits between good and bad yeah. that very um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that dale cooper experiences so um was it lou who killed felicia or was it mo or if they're the same person it was it his bad side was he compartmentalizing that and and externalizing it and is that who came in and, and had sex with darlene um i don't think there were ever two of them no, I think that was well. It's odd because you know Darlene kind of says they're trying to hurt me when she's talking to them, and she obviously sure. interacts with both of them separately. But um, but that yeah, could also can't be tell a projection just, of, exactly because of Lou Mo's. wakes up and or Mo, Mo yeah. we should say wakes up and he uh, he you know potentially this whole thing has just happened in his head. Like, right, that's kind of the the inclination there. Um, so that and and that seems to be um, a moment of, of reckoning that he he experiences at the end when the police come in and, and you realize, oh, did he murder his wife? Yeah. And um, did is he get this... Lou, quote unquote, right. Lou to murder his wife? And, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you could read it very straightly that he had a friend who, but it doesn't make sense otherwise. And I think that knowing Lynch and knowing that how interested he is in, you know, fracturing identities, I think that that is something that that is, uh, I don't know, it just jumped in my mind. I, I can't read it any other way. Um, but is that, is that, you know, uh, Moe's version of some kind of purgatorial test or purgatorial space that he's in, that he's, he's going through this motion? Is that what, you know, room 603 represents to him? And is that what Sasha experiences? Is that, you know, her killing Robert, is that something that absolutely did happen? And now she's in this purgatorial space where that is always happening or Mm -hmm. it's happening, but he's not dead because he's already dead. So he doesn't die again. He, you know, makes up with her and everything is fine. Yeah. I think it's most clear in that final one. And that's what I love so much about um, the story of, of Danny and Diane, because it's the moment when Diane realizes and kind of comes to her senses that, that this is what happened. The role that, that she and Danny had to play in their uh, Danny juniors. They call him Danny, Danny Buck. Yeah. In their, in their son's death um, is when the lights come on and, and then literally the lights engulf her at the end when they're staring out the window. And I feel like that is, um, yeah. it's the them happiest into, ending yeah. of any of them. Yeah, it's them passing into heaven. Right, thing, yeah. because she was stuck in mm-hmm. some place. So again, it felt very purgatorial. And I thought, you know, having the same bellboy and made and and then having it be room 603 which is you know the number nine which is not completed it's not ever finished it's purgatory it feel that that's how i you know that's how i want to how i want to read it yeah and in that sense i felt like the three pieces the second one less so but the three together kind of keep that it's a it's a nice little thread of continuity between the three yeah and that's why i really like the third one because it did feel like an exploration of diane's guilt and um her coming to accept what has happened to her and her child 
and also to Danny. Yeah. No, and I, I agree. I just thought it, it took way too long to get there. You were quite bored. I was quite <laughs> bored. I just, I, it really lost me. I mean, I, I really, like I said, I really appreciated the the acting. I thought mm-hmm. they did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris McClover had some funny lines oh, yeah. thrown in there and stuff. Um, but it was just too much of the same. It was too much whispery. Remember Rinky Dink, Dan? What happened to him? Yeah, I do. Woman who was driving never looked in her side view, she said. Just the rear view mirror. Knocked him sideways off his motor bicycle into the road. Right in the path of oncoming traffic. I do like that, that she keeps referencing um, the... Was it the Lake of Red or the... Yeah, the the sea, the Red the Sea, the sea, sea of, of Red. red. Yeah, the Sea yeah. of Red is not only where he was deployed stationed and stationed, but it's where their son died. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've read elsewhere that some people have interpreted this as um, being some kind of abortion or a violent act, that it was the Sea of Red because it was bloody. And that's what I initially thought too, yeah. Oh, you did? That okay. they had bloodied themselves right. somehow with their son's yeah. blood. Right. <laughs> But, I mean, obviously with a child being two years old, that's not an abortion. So was it murder? Well, and, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it still personifies her guilt. Or not personifies. It, it, it embodies her guilt in some way. To say Metamorphosizes? That it it metaf- metaphors them. <laughs> Metaphored her guilt. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, like she, she was in the sea of red that was red with her son's yeah. death after. And she thinks it's her fault. Right? Yes. Because she left him unattended and right. he died. So, um, I mean, it, it does work that way. I and, and that. I mean, red being an interesting color just from a, a Lynchian point of view mm-hmm. because of, you know, the red room being a, a waiting room, a kind of place that it's, we're told it's a waiting room, but it, that also has a purgatorial feel. And we're far from the first people to make that link. So um, that was kind of fun and, and interesting to look at just in terms of, you know, the thematic links between this and the rest of Lynch's Oeuvre. Yeah. Um, do you, did you see any other connections between well, I Hotel wanna, Room and Twin Peaks? Not Twin Peaks specifically, but Lynch yeah. for sure. Uh, and I wanted to talk about one of them, the the writer. Uh, yeah. What's his name again? Barry Gifford. Barry Gifford, uh, who, yeah, uh, wrote Wild at Heart and uh, in another Inland member. Lost uh, Highway. Lost Highway. Uh, because... Uh, Lost Highway especially mm-hmm. felt very much like the first uh, the first uh, film in or, yeah the first film in the series mm-hmm. uh, the first episode of Hotel Room because it does have that that playing with identities and doubles and uh, you know the supernatural elements mm-hmm. of uh, you know and the oddity and the the comedy that comes out of this oddity mm-hmm. uh, is is very very typically Lynch and mm-hmm. I you know. I don't think it's his Lynch's strongest film, yeah. uh, Lost Highway, and I don't think this is this, his strongest TV series. I still think he and Mark Frost write better together when yeah. they're when they're when they're paired. Uh, but but uh, Ben Gifford, Barry Gifford, Barry Gifford, Jesus, Jeez. Uh, he they they do still click in a certain way, and I, I yeah. really do I do like the the work they they produce together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. It loses something, and I think we were talking about it. Yeah, there was somebody else, uh, a blog post that I read in research for this, suggested that it was like two great artists working together with one arm tied behind their backs. 
I'm going to find that and, and post it on our SoundCloud so you can uh, go read that for yourself. Because I thought that was a really mm-hmm. interesting observation because it doesn't quite go to the, the places, those strange psychological places necessarily that David Lynch tends to go to. Um, but it also doesn't go to the like hyper um, violent places that Barry Gifford tends to go to. Um, and that is, I mean, Lost Highway takes... I think is probably their best collaboration. Mm-hmm. It's the it's maybe their truest collaboration, um, just because it is a sustained, you know, full length feature film that they did right from beginning to end together. So yeah. I, I I think that's probably most representative of their best work. And it does come very close to some of the best stuff yeah. that yeah. Lynch and Frost do. Yeah. But I do agree with you that it is um, that Lynch and Frost work very very well together. Um, but I do appreciate, yeah, like the 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 kind of um, back and forth that they have, while not completely coming to the fullest extent of of their creative power individually. There's like a nice balance between mm-hmm. the two, which is interesting yeah. at the very least. And and we'll talk about this more uh, next episode, which is a. Uh all about Lost Highway. Is uh, that? I thought we were doing another Mark Frost. No, the Mark Frost took a break till 98 and oh. Lost Highway is next up on 97. You probably mentioned that in a previous podcast I did episode. mention that in a previous yeah. podcast and I episode. just don't listen to what you say. I know. We have lots of evidence to that. <laughs> uh, so, any last thoughts for you, Lindsay? That was my kind of concluding thought. I did also want to mention just briefly, uh, the second episode, I really did like it. Um, and there was one sequence. It was about, I'd say, maybe a third third or half of the episode was was a one shot it did see i didn't realize it until much later yeah well you realize you're like this is continued on for the whole time and it's the whole conversation between the between the the women women, about you know what they want out of life and everything and it was and it again it it feels like sex in the city meets snl and that you know snl it's it's live it's one take you gotta you gotta nail it right felt like a play it contributed to that they kind of fumbled a couple of their lines and their timing was just a little bit when when sasha throws the champagne she gets champagne in her eye and she has to act through it and you can tell that that wasn't supposed to happen but it happened and they just kept going with it yeah Um, which was interesting because that i felt was the the acting was weakest in that that particular yeah yeah yeah. well yeah and it didn't help that it felt so dated that you kind of you're like oh these women are just Mm -hmm. such products of their time that Mm -hmm. it's really kind of hard to to latch on to much of what they were talking about but yeah i I just wanted to comment on that 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 it was a really interesting like and it really gave a hint of what a different producer director writer could bring to this series um because you realize you're watching you're like wow this is like oddly intense the way that yeah. live TV is yeah. kind of oddly intense yeah. because you're just like, oh, are they going to get it right? Mm-hmm. And when they make those tiny little things that you don't see in most TV, right. uh, you're just like, okay, this is just, it's a different feel. It's a different vibe. And it, yeah. it contributed a lot to it. So I really, I mean, the first episode, great. Second episode, also great in my mind. Uh, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised that HBO passed on it so quickly, but I, the response was not positive. And I think that that, that would be my final um my final thoughts, we're going to come back to this idea of HBO being the place that David Lynch went to because obviously his creation um, on Showtime was so successful mm-hmm. um, by most people's yeah. uh, estimation, yeah. I would imagine. So the fact that even in 92, 93, he was, he was already looking to cable TV as, as that next place. He did make, you know... Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire, the Dream Trilogy or the California Trilogy, yeah. however you want to yeah. call it. Um, 
but he he stepped away from film and and then came back to premium cable at a time when I think it's more ready for um for what he makes and what he does. I yeah. think HBO at this point in time was very focused on, you know, they did a lot of those comedy specials yeah. and they didn't do They were dabbling. It, you know, The Wire had, hadn't yeah, the, come out well, yet. That was 99. Uh, when did The Wire? 97, 99, something or other. Oz no. was like 95 yeah. or something. So yeah, it was before yeah. all of these major iconic series that was came out. Was Oz really that early? Yeah, it was mid 90s, I think. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, I wasn't allowed to watch it. So. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I still reason. can't. It's still yeah. too intense for me. But yeah, like HBO hadn't branched out and, and wasn't doing these things yet. Um, I think well, that... Well, this is probably one of their first... Exactly. And I think that speaks like to um, Lynch's status as like a vanguard uh, visionary kind of auteur. And I hate using all of those words because they really don't... But but how else do you describe it? Like this is somebody who says, "Okay, I see the medium doing this, and and it could do this." You know, um, it it okay. And this is gonna sound ridiculously hilarious, but I watched the Mister Rogers documentary. Yes, won't you be my neighbor? The other night, and was struck in the in the theater, like absolutely blindsided by how similar Mister Rogers and David Lynch could be. Like they they really had very similar approaches to things, and I think that, um, you know. One of the ways that, you know, Fred Rogers approached TV was he said he had a very specific philosophy and said, this is what TV could do for children and child development. And David Lynch, I think, looks at these mediums and says, this is what this is how it will advance my philosophy. This is how it will, it will tell the story and the things that I need to be told. And he doesn't demand that you um, take the same thing away from it that he does, but he wants to use the medium to its best uh, potential for what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think he looks at in, in 92, he looked at premium cable and said, man, this is like, there's no network constraints. There's um, yeah, probably a higher budget. 22 episodes. I can do right. three every uh, ten, six whatever. months or something. Yeah. And, and it could be this kind of story. Cause it's not, it's, you know, it's paying customers who are, you know, probably a, a certain demographic that, you know, ABC is reaching or that CBS can't access. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do this for this particular medium. And the medium wasn't quite ready yet, but the fact that he saw that and then that's exactly what premium cable did like yeah. premium cable is the reason that we have a golden age of television right now and they're the reason why netflix and amazon prime and um all of these studios have come up and we have so much content now that is really really good it's cinema mm-hmm. quality content which really comes like to the heart of that whole cinema versus tv or film versus tv debate that um it's getting more and less and less relevant. Yeah, uh, if it ever on. really was. Like, I, I feel like it's always been kind of an artificial distinction, but but even more so now that it doesn't feel valid to to say that one is better than the other. They're just, they're they're not even any different anymore. Yeah, it's so. something that you, you capture on film. That's yeah. it. So, yeah. And the fact that so many people are, are doing all of that in their living rooms anyway, mm-hmm. it really doesn't, you know. Yeah affect it so i i I really do think that's that's the most interesting thing about this the most interesting thing was that it was um an early instance of lynch's embrace of a new maybe not a new medium but a new um yeah expression of that medium Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
So what's next on the docket? You already said that. I already told you. Lost, Lost Highway. Highway. I'm really right. excited for this. Lost Highway is... is it's uh, one of my favorites. It yeah. might be. I think... I, I definitely think Mulholland Drive is my favorite favorite. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Lost Highway comes pretty close. And yeah. I think it's just... Maybe because it was one of the later ones that I watched. Um, yeah, we watched it together, I think, for the first time. And we were like, wow, that was... And it was, and it's super confusing. It's like typical Lynch but that way. But you walk into it knowing that it's going to be confusing. Yeah. So you you kind of expect it and you can unravel it. Because yeah. you you maybe already are semi-fluent in the language. A so little bit, maybe yeah, you get it a, a little bit, bit more. more. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although I still didn't. The first time we watched it, I had to look it up on the internet. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Now I get it. But I mean, I remember... Uh, well, I'm sure I'll bring this up next, next time too but I remember reading the David Foster Wallace essay about Lynch where he was on the set of Lost Highway and he described the story and it made no sense. And he's like, this is an instance of Lynchianism. (laughs) Lynchianism. And I was like, oh yes, of course. (laughs) Lynchianism, like pornography. (laughs) Exactly. You (laughs) You don't know it until you see it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that'll be really a really good um, a good chat. I think we'll have a lot of fun with that one. But um, as always, if you have interesting things to contribute to our conversation here about hotel room uh if you liked it if you didn't like it let us know um and we hope that you'll be able to get a chance to see it if you haven't already because Mm -hmm. it's not the easiest to find i i couldn't find it there were a few places that had it posted like via youtube links and stuff but i think most of them have been taken down so knowing hbo um, but if you can get your hands on it, it's well worth it. Yeah. And I was wrong last, last episode when I said Crave has it. Crave does not Crave have does it. Crave does not have it. No. Which would be, it's a shame because it should be more widely distributed. And I think that, um, if ever there was a, a case for releasing something on DVD, I think that would be a fun one to, yeah. to see properly restored and, and brought back just because it's not well known. And mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's fairly easily accessible. Yeah. And, and interesting and very interesting. I mean, we've talked about it for another hour already, so yeah. it's it's great. Oh, and by the way, it was Richard Linklater. That was the name of the the director. Thank you, Lindsay. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Bickering Peaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.